We've been spending the whole week talking about the digital divide and the dilemma over getting more people access to broadband. Today, we discuss some of the potential solutions from a regulatory perspective, as well as the impact that the lack of speedy internet access has to your job opportunities and the larger economy. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me is Comscope Chief Technology Officer Morgan Kirk. Hi, Morgan. Hello, and thank you for having me today. Thanks. And so first off, what does Comscope do? Well, Comscope is an infrastructure provider um, from the core of the network to the edge of the network. We uh, like to say that if you used your cell phone today, your uh, watch television, um, or got on the internet, you were using Comscope equipment somewhere in the network. Gotcha. That's that's the perfect description. And, and really, what I want to talk about is is the internet and internet usage. Uh, we've been talking a lot about this digital divide uh, and how the coronavirus has really shined a spotlight on the fact that this is a real problem. Um, so you know, this this lockdown has forced us all into our homes, and, and for many of us, that that's meant working from home full time. So. You're in a great position to to kind of characterize what that change has looked like. Can you talk a little bit about that and and you know, how the flow of traffic has changed since we all went into lockdown? Sure, sure. Well, it certainly has changed. We uh, we went from being a very mobile society, moving moving around a lot, using your cell phone a lot, um, being in the office a lot, to being quite sedentary in just a very very short period of time. And this, of course, changed uh, the bandwidth needs, where the bandwidth was in the network. And it also changed our habits of using bandwidth. We, we really had very little in-person meetings uh, as soon as Corona has come, come up. And, and so everything went virtually. And, and this has really changed the way we've worked. And I think actually will change things permanently, uh, not to the extent that we have perhaps during this pandemic, but... Uh, we will change from where we were before to someplace in between where we do a lot more virtually than we ever thought possible just a few months ago. It, that's a great point because you know even uh, internally within our company, we're, we're talking about how we can potentially change the dynamic, maybe making letting folks work from home a lot more. Uh, do you see those conversations happening a lot now as, as companies kind of re-examine where their workforce is? A- absolutely. I think we've, uh, we've divided uh, workforces we're seeing into a number of categories. There is a fraction of the workforce that simply either has to do its work in a centralized location or is more efficient doing its work together. And in that portion of the workforce will either is in those locations today or will go back to those locations. But for a significant portion of the workforce, I think uh, we've discovered that you can do the vast majority of your job completely remotely. And we're going to see all sorts of new combinations, uh, people coming in fewer days during the week, people working remote entirely. Uh, we're going to see different combinations of, of uh, the way this happens, and we're going to see technology introduced to help facilitate this um, to really make us more efficient, to reduce that commuting time, to reduce uh, the, the time that we waste in, in other areas, and at the same time, keep us connected. Right. And sort of going back to my original question in terms of how the traffic patterns have changed, I don't know if there were any unusual or surprising trends you saw when the lockdown began, when the the usage started shifting. Anything that really surprised you? I I, I think it really was the video call that became sort of the lifeblood of of us being able to work. 
and, and probably this is something that every one of the people listening can, can relate to. Uh, whereas you might have been on a telephone before, in, in a lot of instances, almost everything went to video calls so we could feel close together. And this, this uh, drove bandwidth up absolutely enormously. And it also uh, required a latency level that uh, it was more than what we had had before. And so networks were, were strained. And we saw this with our customers, um, our customers that were providing networks to home. We, were, we saw capacity ads that needed to be done in software and in hardware very, very quickly to address this large video demand. In addition to the video calls, we also saw that there was a lot more consumption of video uh, whether that was as as gaming as people were home and, and children were home in addition to people working, or whether that was just consumption of traditional video, but now as streaming. Um, and so these were all strains that we saw on the network as uh, as the pandemic started and, in fact, uh, has maintained even as things have loosened up a bit. And just sort of on a broader level, uh, you know, the coronavirus, I feel it has exposed a lot of different deficiencies uh, in our nation's infrastructure. What... Uh, what has it exposed from your perspective? Um, was it exposed in regards to you know the lack of broadband in in parts of the country and big chunks of the country and and what that's meant to you know the lack of opportunities for certain folks in this country? Yeah, so I think you're referring to the digital divide uh, that we have. And while most people who lives who live in uh, urban areas or even suburbia, have relatively speaking high-speed internet and are part of, uh, I'll call it this digital revolution that's gone on, uh, there's a significant portion of either um, lower income uh, neighborhoods or more rural neighborhoods, which which do not have that. And I think it was most acutely felt probably in the educational space when things started uh, being locked down because all the schools closed and everybody went home. And if you did not have high-speed internet, you had problems actually going to school because that's how it was being done. And so we, along with, with others, tried to put together programs and, and help everybody try to connect some of these uh, lower-income neighborhoods or these less covered neighborhoods or more rural neighborhoods uh, in an effort to, uh, to help bridge this digital divide. Right. I know the, the carriers and a bunch of the, basically the telecom industry has partnered together to, to offer either incentives or have, have waived fees. And there have been a lot of things going on to kind of help the country. That That's largely been a, a Band-Aid of sorts. Um, I'm curious if you think that this lockdown, this experience um, and the fact that it has shined a light on the fact that there is a digital divide, is that enough to spur some action and to get folks to actually think about getting broadband to more people? Because there are still, uh, I think the last estimate is something like 18 million people that don't have a broadband connection. Yeah, I think that it has. I think that uh, we're seeing this in a number of, of, of ways. I think first we're seeing this in a governmental way. We've seen the government say, hey, look, we have to connect everybody. It's part of, of moving forward for the country. And so they are writing legislation to cover, I'll call it the more, more rural areas with, uh, with broadband. So there's money to make, to make it financially viable where density is too low to get coverage. So that's one thing that's going on. So government regulation is helping with that. The second thing that's going on, I think, is, is competition. And um, I think with the demand for this, 
And the fact that you can now get broadband not just from a wired connection to your home or apartment, but also from now starting uh, wireless connections, this general competition will, uh, will spur additional investment and ensure that in the future that 18 million becomes 1.8 million and then becomes 180,000. So really drop that dramatically. Right. And you talked about uh, you know, legislation. Like what, you know, what form of legislation, what, what, what needs to get done from, I guess, a government and uh, like an FCC perspective uh, to really get investment flowing into areas where traditionally the ROI has been pretty dubious? Yeah, so I think you're... Uh I think you're exactly hitting on it. The legislation needs to help fund some of the basic infrastructure because if you live, let's say, five or 10,000 meters away from your neighbor, running physical media down there is challenging. In addition, it is, uh, it's expensive and few people can afford to pay for somebody else to put this in. And then if somebody does, it's only one company that puts it in. And and that, of course, uh, means there isn't a lot of competition from from a price standpoint. So you have incentives by the government to put in this initial infrastructure. And this infrastructure could come from putting more uh, wireless base stations. It could come from running fiber uh, or copper to a lot of places, or it could come from even satellites. People are talking about about, uh, doing uh, internet access from space with, with low orbit satellites. So so all sorts of, of ways of addressing this problem. And then, you know, you talked about, or one point, I think, uh, it's worth mentioning, latency, um, especially, I think we all feel this issue when we're on a Zoom call and I say something and then two seconds later you respond or I try to cut in. There, there, I think latency is one of those concepts that I talk about a lot as someone who covers this industry, but folks don't really understand. I think most people understand it now, seeing the lag time and the delay between uh, us having a, a real conversation. Uh, I'm curious how latency kind of plays into that and how that plays into the, the digital divide issue. Yeah, the way I like to uh, to talk about latency is having people remember back to something that they can relate to, say they're at their laptop. Uh, 10 or 20 years ago, your laptop, you worried about how fast your laptop is. And, and that was the currency that we measured what sort of a laptop we had. Um, today, we don't do that. We talk about things like um, uh, how much, how long your ba- battery lasts. That's really what the currency. And I think the same analogy can be made in in uh, in internet access. We talk about speed. That's like how fast your laptop was. But now we're converting over to talking about latency, which is how how snappy, how how quick things respond to what you're doing. And remember, latency matters in things like a two-way conversation, how quickly you hear me, how, how much it gets to me, as opposed to bandwidth, which is how quickly can I download this big file. So um, the snappiness, the, the feel for that is, is, um, is very different. And I, I think where you see it the most is video calling or gaming, uh, virtual reality, virtual augmentation, all these new types of things are all requiring very low latencies. So uh, what has to happen to make latency or to, to drop the level of latency? Um, so we need a lot, of different, um, a lot of different parts of the network to be optimized to, uh, to reduce the latency. So there's latency all over the network. And, and depending on what applications are, are going to be, be used, 
Uh, it depends where it's going to sit in the network, where things are going to sit, sit in the network. So we need to start off with the core of the network and we need to push toward the edge various applications so they're actually closer to users. Um, that would be one way of reducing latency. We change, um, we change the air interface and the type of technology that we use in terms of communicating things. So in the case of wireless, we go from LTE to 5G NR. That, uh, that, will, that protocol reduces latency, for example, so you can change things like that. Um, and, uh, and you can also change the physical media going between places and, and how you route signals and how often you have to route them between various places. So the entire network needs to be optimized uh, for latency. Uh, fortunately, this is something which does not happen overnight, but it has been worked on for years and it's getting better and better. So every evolution that we do, whether it's in Wi-Fi or whether it's in wireless or whether it's it's uh, on fiber or hybrid fiber, fiber coax, we're always working to reduce latency and increase speed. And, and you know, you talked about different kinds of technologies. You know, there's there's obviously wireless. There is, you know, fiber optics. There are there are cable. In terms of closing that digital divide, I mean, what I assume there's going to be a combination of technologies, but is there one that's going to sort of be the dominant solution for getting more people online? So I, I think it's a question of, of optimization. Um, I don't think there is one technology that suits all, all needs. So I'll give you the example. If you are going to cover a very, very rural, faraway place, maybe the best way to get that done is from a satellite because you would have to put so much equipment on the ground to cover this if you had one person every, you know, 100 miles, it wouldn't make sense to do it. If you have things that are really, really dense in a city, it's likely that this gets connected via fiber because there's such a capacity needs. And between those two extremes, you have all sorts of other technologies. And I think there's a lot of overlap, too. And that's actually really important because what we believe and what we found is the more competition you have, the more innovation it drives and the more uh, opportunity you have to service the, com the uh, consumer and the, more, um, and the better service that they get. And so whether it is a cable operator and a telco operator competing, whether it's a wireless operator and a fixed line operator competing, whether it's a satellite operator and either one of those competing, we believe that that, that will actually go on and there won't be an ultimate winner. What we do know in terms of technology, however, is ultimately that last meter, foot, or mile is pretty much wireless. We're all talking on cell phones. We're all using laptops with Wi-Fi. That last meter from, from wherever the last access point is or, or wherever the base station is to you will be wireless. We also know that the core of the network, the very center portion of the network, is fiber. And those two places are kind of expanding. So ultimately, that, that will likely be the world that we're left in. Uh, and, and just sort of going back to the the importance of closing the digital divide. I don't know if you know you've done research on this, but is there any way to kind of look at what the opportunity lost is for someone who is caught in this divide versus someone who is participating in this digital economy or this digital revolution? Yeah. So we we look at uh, a number of statistics on um, what this means from from an economic standpoint, uh, how much you grow your economy. We don't have it down to, to an individual. Um, in, in other words, if a person did 
uh, had it, had it versus didn't have it, how much would that result in their income being increased? But in economic activity, um, it is it is significantly uh, it is significant. A dollar invested in this returns more than a dollar to the the economy as a whole. So it's not just that it's critical for the individual. Uh, we would say it's critical for the uh, society because it helps drive the society forward in terms of increasing the economic uh, activity of the society as a whole. Uh, I just lastly, you know, assuming, uh, you know, as you say, the the lockdown, you know, represents this big shift in mentality and really lights a fire under everybody to fix this problem. Assuming that we've got some, we've got legislation, we've got federal funding, we've got more competition. You know, what is your your best case scenario for when we actually close this digital divide? Wow, that's that's a uh, hard prognostication. Um, and the reason why I say it is, is I think we have all the technology and all the ability to do that today. Um, but it's hard to do physical installation. It's hard because while everybody wants a cell phone and wants it to work well, nobody wants a cell tower in their neighborhood. Um, it's hard because when you install things, sometimes you have to bury them underground and burying things underground costs a lot of, of money and takes a lot of time. Getting, getting approvals and site approvals and things takes a lot of time. So it would take longer than, than what we think. But I think it's, it's a reasonable ambition over the next decade to eliminate the, the digital divide in large measure. Morgan, thanks for your time. That concludes our six-part series looking at the broadband gap. It's a complicated issue and we're, we're really just touching the surface here. I hope you like this format. It's really just an experiment for now. Either way, drop us a line on Twitter at The Daily Charge with your thoughts. We'll return to our regular News of the Day format on Monday. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.